Welcome to the Stringers Podcast number six. It's a half dozen. A lot of great things come in half dozens. You got eggs, donuts, other stuff, and podcasts. This week, we are excited to bring you Jeffrey Garriock. And if you haven't heard of Jeffrey Garriock, then you should know about Jeffrey Garriock. Uh, unbelievable cinematographer and photographer, travels the world. He's been up mountains, under the seas, at Jeffrey Garriock on Twitter, at Jeffrey Garriock on Instagram. But first, Hello. Ki- Kylie, hey. you jumped the gun. I didn't introduce <laughs> you yet. We're just getting off a little bit of the Canadian Thanksgiving. How was oh, yours? My stomach's still full. Is it full? Yeah. Was it, was it, are you a turkey family or do you kind of go down different food roads? No, we're all about the ham in our family. You're all with the ham Ham. in your family? Yeah, the whole ham. Do you do like, with your ham, do you put the little bit of mustard on your plate and then you cut your ham? I'm not a mustard girl. Oh. No. You know what? (laughs) I was surprised. I don't even know what the telltale signs of a mustard (laughs) girl is, but I thought for sure you'd be down with the mustard. So no? Ketchup all the way. Ketchup Ketchup with ham. Yeah, ketchup. Well, not with ham, but like I'm no, a ketchup girl. I was going to say. I'm a you're, ketchup girl. You're a ketchup girl. Yeah. So what we have to do over the coming weeks is determine what makes a ketchup girl and a mustard girl. And if there are any other types of girls out there. Kylie. Yes. We had Thanksgiving last Did. weekend. What do we have coming up this weekend? This weekend. Uh, Friday at, where is it? The, the Steady Cafe and Bar on Bloor Street. It's a drunken cinema, Friday the 13th, (laughs) part seven screening. Apparently, it's like an interactive drinking game, and you can win, like, prizes. I'm not too sure, like, all the details. How do you win prizes? The biggest prize might be covering my tab from that night. (laughs) It's only eight bucks to go watch it, too. Oh, my goodness. So, Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, on Friday the 13th. On Friday the 13th. Yeah. On Bloor. Yeah, on Bloor, at we're the going, Steady Cafe bar. We're going back to our drinking weekends, apparently, <laughs> with a drinking watch. What else do you have going on? Um, Saturday, Cineplex. It's free movie day all day. Get the fuck out. No, seriously. Anywhere. Well, I think they have a list of like where you can go watch free movies, but <sighs> I'm pretty sure it's almost everywhere. Now, I'm curious if it's current movies or if it's See, or yeah. they're just like rolling they out some classics. They might get you there. Oh, if I didn't have a shoot on Saturday, <laughs> I would just hunker down and like buy a gallon of popcorn. Yeah. I'd be done. Yeah. And on Sunday, it's Canada Land. I thought you'd like this one. It's um Hot Dogs Podcast Festival. Yeah. At Ted Rogers Cinema. How are we not invited? I don't know. Well, we got to get on yeah, this. Yeah, I know. This is a mess. It's, it is 29 bucks, but I can afford I 29 yeah. bucks yeah. With, to go support those who podcast <laughs> and have to buy all Fellow their equipment yeah. and bring in guests and feed them snacks. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, <laughs> but 29 bucks is pretty reasonable. Yeah. That so, sounds a good weekend. pretty yeah. incredible. And you get your drinking out of the way yep. on Friday yeah. the 13th. <laughs> and then we can be responsible. Yeah, all right. So Jeffrey Garriock's coming up. I feel bad. I want to apologize to him and to you. This was at the end of a very, very long day. So if I seem a little bit dopey, if not all my energy is there, I was trying. It was just a long day. And if you hate it that much, we'll bring Jeffrey back. But first, I was in California on the weekend. Yeah, I'm jealous. Got to see the Foo Fighters play. And they did something I've never seen them do before. And that was... 
run some covers, mm-hmm. like come together. It was unbelievable. They also brought like guests up on stage. And so they had the lead singer from The Kills and they had Liam Gallagher come up and they also had David Cause. Do you know what David Cause does? No, I don't. Not even a guess? No. He plays the sax. <laughs> stuff that's good because i have to say i i I hate to sound mean but it's kind of like a really depressing office like yeah at the moment totally (laughs) it's 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 like i just moved in and i haven't unpacked yet there's a lot of potential a lot of potential tons of potential but it's like especially with the banker's lamps i feel like i've walked into 1982 and i needed i like my lamps actually (laughs) i i think i have another one to bring in too I think the idea is that every desk that's in here is going to have a different type of lamp on it. Okay, this is nice. It'll have though. two desks. Thank you. Is it It'll just have, you? Yeah, for now. All right. Mm. <laughs> it's it's just like Space Monkey Media in here. Oh that. yes, so of course. It's, it's just mm-hmm. the one company in here. At the moment, yeah, it's just well, Kylie's here too. Yeah, hey, Kylie, I'm here. <laughs> oh, hey, there's more than one. There is two. Jeffrey Garrick joining the podcast. Jeff. What's up, pal? I, I, I'm not much. I was actually really excited. I was trying to think the whole way over here on something clever to say during the, the cold open that I was expecting because I was listening to the first few episodes. And as you can tell, I came up with nothing other than mercilessly criticizing your office. It's okay. <laughs> hey, man. It just gives, it sets the bar. It gives me a spot to reach to. Mm. Uh, it's it, it gets on me, right? And again, we've only been here two weeks now, but it gets on me that it's not where I want it to be, obviously, but at the same time, that's why patience is a virtue and it'll all come and you can't have it all overnight. No, man, it's going to be big things in here, I'm sure. I I just got to get, uh, I have got to get a contractor in here to just do all the wiring and wire all the TVs and hang all the TVs and all that junk. Get that good Wi-Fi in here. Get the the good Wi-Fi, the cold pressed (laughs) Wi-Fi. Right now, if you were to look at my office, I have a TV, I have the cable like is in here. And the TV's just resting on my couch. It's still and on. It's from still earlier. on from earlier this morning. <laughs> Amazing. And I'm, we were watching Manhunter earlier. Man Tracker. Man Tracker. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it different than Manhunter? Yeah. Is there, are Man there Hunter two? was a sequel to the it Silence of the Lambs, <laughs> and Man Tracker is a dude in a cowboy hat chasing people. Whoa, the wait. There's a sequel to <laughs> Silence of the Lambs There's that wasn't. Uh, Hannibal. Hannibal. Yeah. Well, and then there's Red Dragon as well. But I, I saw Red Dragon. Huh. Yes. Then there's Manhunter. I think, or maybe that was the name of the book. I don't. I oh, don't quote, don't me on quote this. you on that. But it's it's there is an iteration of a Hannibal Lecter story, and it's called Manhunter. Man yeah. No way. Yeah. See? Look, Mister Film Guy. I learn every time I'm around <laughs> you. What else I learn is all the places you've traveled in the world. There's where more, have, where have you been? That was a really bad intro, but that's... <laughs> good segue, though. Good segue. You know what? It's been a long day. Hey, man, it's all good. It's been a, it's what? Been a it's, long day. No one knows what time it is. It's 11 a.m. in the morning. No. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, it's been a long day. Where have you been recently, though? You are oh. always on the road. I can never track you down. Yeah, no, I've, I've been I've here a surprising amount lately, but this year has been pretty insane. I mean, um, since... The beginning of 2017, I was in, I was in Guatemala, I was in Nicaragua, I was in Svalbard, uh, Greenland, 
um, Senegal and Nigeria and the Ivory Coast. And then I think I'm missing one. Oh, and Norway and Iceland. And um, then coming up is Florida week after next. And then I'm going to <laughs> That's Sask- like the most normal of them all. Well, and like, then Saskatchewan. That I'm would be the most normal. Going to Florida and then I'm going to Saskatchewan. <laughs> Just say, you know, finish finish the year strong. Yeah, you know, you right. still got to start the year strong and end year strong. What do you have going on in uh, Florida and Saskatchewan? Florida is like sitting down and drinking a beer, hopefully, with the family. Oh, it's chilling? Yeah, I oh, never go away. very nice. People say things to me like, man, your life must be so great you go on vacation all the time as I'm sure they say to you when you Instagram from like a Florida hotel room when you've been shooting for 18 and a half hours but it's not like that it's no. work it's always work and and so this is like the one occasion of the year where it's actually not work for once so my entire family's going we've been going for like since I was a little little kid and uh, yeah it's exciting you were in Iceland you said were you scuba diving in Iceland this year this time no but uh, my friend who uh, introduced me basically to scuba diving in Iceland came here here to dive in Tobermark. Oh, no So way. I kind of did the other way around yeah. this time, which was quite cool. He he was a guide diving in Iceland for many years, and he's a marine archaeologist, so he still uh, uh, is diving over there quite a lot on, like, uh, Danish shipwrecks from, you know, ten, like, or from a thousand years ago. So I was like, come see Canada. From ten hundred years ago. Ten hundred years ago. Ten hundred years that ago. That is almost we what I said. It's almost a thousand years. That's one of those things I think we should bring back, though. Ten hundred. It's like when people say, you know, uh, what time is it? I think you should say, oh, it's 40 after. Well, Ooh, how come that's not after. a thing? How come that's less valid than than it's twenty two? It's twenty two. Yeah, why do we have to start counting down? I don't know. That's right? not fair. It's the same reason in English for some reason. Eleven and twelve uh, aren't they, teens. No, they're not teens. Well, how come? What, I want one teen and two teen. So we I can think have a uniform. it's strictly to work around our twelve hour clock. I guess, but even then, like like the first nine and then ten and then. 11 and 12, like we're... we're they all kind of sound the same. I, as soon as you hit 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19... There's suddenly order and a system? Why is that a bad thing? I don't know, man. I don't know about this. I mean, it could be worse. We could be counting in French, which makes even less sense. I was going to say it makes even more sense, because if you want to go to 99, it's 420, it's a 10 and a 9. And you go, well, you know what? It's math and it's spelling. <laughs> I don't have time for math and spelling. I just need to know how many seconds are left in the hockey game. It like, was like, I remember when it was 1999 and we had French class and it was like the worst trying to say it or spell it. Yeah. The only number I can still say is 1998, which is 1998. Eight. And that's because that's when the ice storm was. Neuf. <laughs> that's the next one. Oh, yeah. Neuf. And then you got 1999. Fair enough. 2000 got me stumped. I, uh, de mille? De mille? My French friends can de correct me on that one. <laughs> de mille et deux. This is turning into French for English Canadians. <laughs> French by English Canadians. <laughs> by English Canadians. For English Canadians. One of the most interesting things that I learned from you is when diving in Iceland, you get to witness, I don't want to call it a phenomenon, a geological structure. Yeah. You could say phenomenon. Phenomenon that I don't know I've even ever heard of anywhere else in the world. It's unique just because most of the time it's like well at the bottom of the sea. And they sort of have a few places that are like this that are unique to them. That uh, Because most of the time these things happen so far down that humans can't be there. And you have to go with very expensive robots and long cords. And it's like something for reserved for National Geographic and for James Cameron and people like that. But in Iceland, uh, the, the main attraction that people go there, and that's why I originally wanted to go there, is it's called the Silfra Crack. And uh, Silfra means silver lady. And the crack, basically, it's... 
the divide between the two continental plates, between the North American and the European continental plate, and there are two divergent plates, and because Iceland sits right on the, basically on the line between them, uh, the, the crack runs through the country, and it runs like through the whole country on a diagonal, which is amazing. So some parts of it, it's just on land, and you'll just see these two pieces being pulled apart like a giant chopped the land with an axe and then other parts um they're flooded with water so that's where the silver crack comes in is it's it's been filled with water and it's glacial runoff so it's freezing cold it's like two degrees celsius no matter when you're there what time of year and yeah and they're they're divergent plants so they move by i believe it's two millimeters a year apart that's a lot yeah considering that we're talking about tectonic plates two millimeters is a shit done. Iceland goes big on everything tectonic, though. Like, they're, they're, I don't know if you remember the ash cloud Definitely. in 2010. Do you know the name of that volcano? Mm-mm. Oh, no, nobody does. And there's wonderful um, clips you can watch online of newscasters from all over the world desperately trying to pronounce it, but it's Eyjafjallajökull. <laughs> One more time for the listeners. Eyjafjallajökull. <laughs> Yeah, I believe you only because you were able to do the same, like... <laughs> the same mouth sounds twice. Times. <laughs> yeah, no, like, they had an eruption. I don't think it was that one. It was, uh, uh, I believe, it was a volcano called Katla, and they it created 11 miles of new coastline, like, I think in the, in the wow. 60s. So, like, they go big with everything. So, you're scuba diving in Iceland, and there's these two tectonic tectonic plates moving apart at two millimeters per year. How close are they for you when you're underwater? At the closest point, you can reach out and you can touch North America with one hand and then Europe with the other hand. I'm doing a dance that no one can see but the ones in this room because I think it's the coolest shit you could ever do. It's cool. It's a cool feeling to be there. And the other thing is like the visibility because it's glacial runoff, like the, the water's so clear, like it's absurdly clear. People get vertigo from looking down because they feel like they're going to fall. So you have this crystal clear, like cloven ditch through the two continental plates and you can touch both sides at the same time and it's it's yeah it's pretty magical it's a it's a that just really blew amazing. my mind right <laughs> if you heard a sound in the background it was kylie's brain splattering against the back wall have you ever scuba dived anywhere warm because if i want to try scuba diving it might not be in iceland i don't know man it's which, good over there by the name still doesn't sound like my kind of country <laughs> Um, yeah, no, Where's you, Beachland? Do we have a Beachland somewhere? I feel like they owe us one. If we're going to have <laughs> yeah, Iceland, yeah, yeah. we should have we, Beachland. It's like we need an Iceland. We have a Greenland. Mm-hmm. We now need a Beachland and an Airland, and we're kind of safe. I feel like Greenland is also kind of a cop because we don't have lands for any of the other colors. Like, is there a Blueland? Oh, you true. know what I mean? Very good point. Yeah. Can it could be Redland or right. Russia? Or it both kind of works. We'll have to rock, paper, scissors for it. <laughs> or play like a seven, best of seven hockey series or something. <laughs> that actually is a very Canada-Russia thing to do. Yeah. Get the rivalry back and alive. Have you, have you scuba dived anywhere? Warm. Warm? Yeah, sure. Nice? Nice. Is it- it's very nice in Iceland. But yeah, no, um, all over the place. Last year, I was, uh, I was in Thailand diving, which is very nice. It's like bath water. It's like, you know, 31 oh. degrees. You just wear a bathing suit and nothing else. And then you'd go in and it's nice. It's a lot easier. The Iceland type of thing is a li- really prohibitive. It's You yeah. have to really want it. Whereas Thailand, you know, you just jump in. Swim. And then it's easy. Although, <laughs> when I was there, I was doing my rescue dive certification. So it was a lot less like diving and looking at fish and a lot more hauling tour 
tourists around who couldn't swim but thought scuba diving, that would be fine. So I think what I should have probably introduced at the beginning, and I'm not saying until now, <laughs> we met working in, in sports, film, and television. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason why you get to do all these wicked adventures is you're doing it with a camera in your hand. Yes. And so you're traveling the world, experiencing all these cultures, all these different adventures through the lens of a camera, which I think is frigging cool. I get to travel throughout North America for my work, but man, I want to get on like a 20-hour flight and go somewhere wild for work. Because I don't want to get on a 20-hour flight ever, really. So, I mean, I'll trade you. (laughs) No, no. I'll do Thailand. You can do Columbus, Ohio. I don't know if you want to give that up. You want to give up Columbus, Ohio? I'll give up Columbus, Ohio. Second on my list, Houston, Texas. You can have Houston as well. I'll do a two-for-one deal even. <laughs> All right, okay. We'll, we'll have to make some trades. I feel like we should make up some trading cards and we can trade where we get to go. <laughs> There's city trading cards. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm very lucky that way. I, I mean, my camera has kind of been my passport to all of these places. I've always wanted to go and do these things. And uh, I just, you know, I'd never had the means or the money or, or I, only the motivation. And it was like, it wasn't until I started just going and doing it mm-hmm. that I kind of built up a reel and a presence that people would say, hey, maybe we'll get this guy. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got very lucky and got to the point where people were actually calling me up and paying me to go some of the time, which is nice. <laughs> some of the times. Not all of the time. Hopefully I mean, more often than not. It's more often than not, yeah. But, but I mean, sometimes the free stuff is too good to pass up. Every now and then you'll get offered a job for like a not-for-profit or for a charity or for an NGO and they don't have any money, but they will send you somewhere you never would have gone otherwise and it's all expenses paid. So it's still then, I think, worth it for me to take that on because you get to create something that's going to be really satisfying. It's the same sort of thing I would have liked to have been doing anyway. Like if it were a vacation, I would go and I would take pictures and I would do the same type of thing. And so sometimes that opportunity is worth it. If it's going to take you somewhere that you wouldn't otherwise be able to go. I would think if I like heard about you or read your bio on the internet, I'd be like, this was a child born in international waters. You know, the one that doesn't belong to any one country, but kind of is a child of the world. But as it happens, we grew up in rival towns in southern Ontario. I'm a Newmarket, Ontario boy. Oh. Jeff is an Aurora, Ontario boy. <laughs> oh, dear. They're side by side. Aurora didn't like Newmarket because we made them smell bad. And Newmarket didn't like Aurora because they were better than us. Which is kind of the yeah, truth. Yeah, no, I mean, you nailed it, really. Like, we, were the, we were the embarrassing cousin that you didn't want coming to the family gathering. But you also had all the things. Like growing up in Aurora, we didn't have a movie theater, we didn't have a mall, we didn't we didn't really have anything. Well, 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 well. <laughs> Welcome inside the new market borders. So you weren't all bad. I did spend <laughs> yeah. a lot of you know uh, my high school misspent youth uh, hanging out at Upper Canada Mall in Newmarket. So did I. Yeah, what a coincidence! What a strange coincidence. Well, because there was no Upper Canada Mall in Aurora, <laughs> and there was no movie theater or anything to do. You could walk to the one from the one Tim Hortons to the other. So. If you remember 13-year-old Jeff, was it in your feet? Like, had you already pictured, you're like, listen, I'm going to hang on to this camera and it's going to take me around the world. Did you have this plan set out for yourself from the onset? No, it was kind of like... You're supposed to say yes. No. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you one thing. um, I did know that I wanted to be an underwater videographer from about that age. Because I went diving for the first time. I would have been 13 or 14. And on the boat, we had like a three-hour boat ride on the way back. 
and on the boat on the way back, they played, it was VHS then, but they played the VHS that the videographer for the dive company had shot of us diving. So oh, as no you way. go back, you look on the screen on you the boat and there's you the, doing the dive that you just did. And I was like, I didn't even know that that was a thing. The cameras could go in the water and yeah. that there was there were jobs going with yeah. that. And I said to my dad that day, I was like, I'm going to be an underwater videographer. So that part I had figured out a long time ago. <laughs> but the whole travel and camera thing, no, I, those were sort of two separate things that, that very uh, luckily came together. So as you were progressing through your teen years and heading towards having to leave high school or take on the next chapter, where did your path lead you? Like, how did you get to traveling the world with your camera? I, uh, I don't know. I mean, well, so in high school... Film was kind of like just what you did on the weekends. Like I belonged to a terribly nerdy uh, group of friends. I was not yes. good at sports. I was really small, like four foot ten until uh, like I was eighteen or nineteen years old. And uh, and uh, yeah, too embarrassed to you know say anything or do anything uh, out of order. So w- my friends and I would just make movies. That was like the one thing where I was like, this is fun. I understand this a little bit. My teacher that I connected with in high school, my it was media arts was the class but my, my teacher who I was like he's the cool teacher who actually speaks to me like a human being instead of another annoying kid he he was teaching us film and stuff and so on the weekends I don't know what other kids were doing, but I was going to my friend's house and we would make a movie. We would shoot, uh, like the first thing we ever shot was called The Resident Gormley Vampire Project and that was followed by <laughs> Hobos Save the Earth. Both of which I have a copy of. <laughs> maybe maybe one day I will show you. This needs to get on the internet. No, that's one place it doesn't ever need to go, it I don't It needs think. to definitely, no. I think everything has a spot. <laughs> every every car has a parking spot on the internet. Well, like I don't know. Every piece of media can find its way there but and it have a never, second life. Never find its way <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after you're done with the Gormley residential <laughs> vampire and after the hobo saved the earth, was there, did you be like, oh man, people can actually make money at this? I say this because I remember the moment when I realized that Film is more than just the two hours that I sit in front of a TV or in a movie theater that there was someone who actually wrote this and there are actors who acted in where I saw it more than just Mm. the face value of of the story where I was like, no, 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 someone actually gets to do this and create these ideas and watch them come to life. It's funny, it took me a long time to get to that point as well, I think, to kind of separate that out. But once I was doing it with my friends, I was like, yeah, this is, I want to do that. But I still wasn't thinking like, this could be a job. I was just like, this is something that I would like to keep doing, (laughs) you know, not really thinking about my future or other stuff like that. But I did, I did, I knew the next thing to do was film school. Mm -hmm. So that was what I was trying to get, uh, get going next. That's where he has a one up on me. I never went to film school. Well, sort of. Definitely three up on me. The film school that I went to uh, was shut down for embezzling from their students shortly after I left. You're joking and me. No, and I never technically graduated. So, can, I don't know. Can we get the name of the film school? I'm now really interested. Well, it's reopened under, I think, almost the same name, actually. Uh, it was Toronto Film School. <laughs> and now it's Southern Ontario Major Metropolitan Film School of the Arts. I think it's still called Toronto Film School, but they were a subsidiary of like the International Academy for Arts and Design, which was like a franchise of colleges all over Canada and the U.S., and they, I don't think it was like our school in particular. I think it was like the parent company that mm-hmm. was doing it. And it was like, you knew something was going on because there were kids who would fail 
And then the next term you would show up and there they were. And we would be like, I thought you failed. And they would be like, yeah, I did. But they said that I could come. <laughs> they said, as long as I pay my tuition on time, I can come back to school and bring my pencils and my protractor. Yes, that sort of gives you a sense of the value <laughs> yeah. of that education. I don't know how much of a one-up that might be, but I did meet some great people there and I did learn a couple of things. So I have that at least to show for it. But um, yeah, it still wasn't going to be a jump. I mean, now granted, this was a year before the great financial collapse of 2008. So back then, I was still under the impression that what happened was you went to college and then afterwards you were given a job. Which With is, a large paycheck. Yeah. 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 And so then you can afford the the extremely expensive Queen Street West apartment you've committed to as a student because of course the money is it just, just... It's coming. It's around the corner. Around the corner. It's yeah. right there. I can mm. basically see it. I just have to go to payday loans and get the advance on my paycheck. Yeah. Uh, what could be easier? <laughs> so, you know... That didn't happen. That happened. <laughs> yeah. Everyone has an airport story. Everyone who travels has an airport story. I imagine that, you know, my LAX airport story is probably quite mundane to some of the stuff you've experienced. I know you're supposed to be interviewing me, but can I hear your LAX airport story? I, shh, yeah, I made it up. <laughs> I don't. It was it was just an example uh, to try and get to the point. Actually, I do. I have an SFO story. Okay, where, let's have that one. Let's where, have the real story. No, no. I've always. I have a. I have a couple different ones. My SFO story, San Francisco Airport. Um, I was connecting through to Hawaii, and still with an hour and thirty minutes to go f- before my flight, they'd given my seat away. Oof. And they're like, no, 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 we didn't think you were coming. I'm like, you knew it was on my last flight. I went and I had lunch and I still have 90 minutes for my next flight. Can I have my seat? And they said no. And so I had two options. I could either lose my shit and stay in San Francisco for a week or I can take it up the backside and wait for the next flight. So I had to wait four more hours uh, in SFO. I had one recently where I was coming back from Guatemala this year and my producer and I, where we had to fly, we were meant to just, I think, fly... Yeah, we flew Antigua to San Salvador and El Salvador, which is like 40 minutes, and then San Salvador straight to Toronto. So it should have been fine. And about three and a half hours into the flight, they say, hey, everyone, so we're going to be making an unscheduled stop in Washington, D.C. And we're like, this is probably sure. not a good thing. And they're just like, yeah, don't worry, everybody, just, you know, to stay, remain calm. Everything's getting totally extra normal. bottles of water. Yeah, exactly. Which normal is- stuff. Emptying our waste bucket. Mm-hmm. So the first thing usually to do when someone tells you not to panic is to panic because there's probably a terrible problem. So we land. Nobody knew anything that was going on, and they have this weird, like Terminator-like machine in uh, the Washington airport that it's basically, if you imagine a bus that's four buses wide and raised like two buses off the ground. It's at plane height. Unlike monster truck wheels. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. It's it's this weird giant, like you could easily drive another bus underneath it. I'm pretty sure I drew one of these when I was five years old. It very much looks like (laughs) like a child's drawing of a bus or of a van. Yeah, it's, it's a very strange thing. So it comes and it takes you off the plane and then just leaves you in this strange limbo. So you can't go into the airport, but they also don't want to keep you on the plane. But there was no food, no water, and no information. So they kept us there for six hours. Wow. Not telling us anything. And then finally we find out, okay, so there was smoke coming from inside the plane. Which is, that's a good reason to land a plane. So I'm on board. But then they say, there's not going to be another flight today. 
there's going to be a flight tomorrow. So we said, okay, that's fine. What do we do about now? They're like, if you go over there, they'll give you a hotel voucher. We said, all right, fine. So we go, this is like a Never Sunday. believe them when they say that. Well, now they, they, they did give us, well, actually, no, we didn't actually receive anything. They're just like, go to the embassy suites. And we're like, all right, fine. So we, they're like, the shuttle's there. So we wait outside, 10 minutes pass, no shuttles come, 20 minutes pass, 30 minutes pass and we realize we we I don't know if the shuttle's coming. So us and a few other passengers say, "Okay, well we'll just get a cab. Take us to the embassy suites." Of course. We get in a cab, go to the embassy suites. We arrive and we're like, "Hey, we're from the flight. Gave him the flight number. Uh, do you have a room for us?" And the guy goes, "I have no idea what you're talking about." Yeah. And it wasn't because they hadn't set it up. It was because the guy took us to the wrong embassy suites. Oh. So there are two airport <laughs> embassy suites in Washington, in Washington DC. DC. This is not something I had researched. No. I had no plans on being in Washington DC <laughs> and I didn't <laughs> know what I was supposed to do now that I was there. So then we finally got an Uber to the correct embassy suites. We still managed to get there ahead of everybody who was waiting for the shuttle. <laughs> but because it was Sunday night in Washington at the airport embassy suites and all of a sudden they had 120 people that were going to be staying in the hotel who hadn't eaten in six or seven hours. They had one guy in the kitchen. Oh no. Poor and I felt, I felt bad for him. Yeah. Like, like I, I, you it's know, cool. I'm grumpy. Order pizza. It's good. Don't worry. <laughs> well, we will be here quicker. We got in there first. So we we're like, okay, just whatever food exists, give us yeah. the fastest, most, most, you know, filling thing that you can make. But yeah, it was then another two you hours, 13 dinner rolls and a glass of water. and yeah. enjoy. <laughs> That'll fill you up two hours more for food. And oh, then boy. yeah, finally got to sleep, got home the next day. That was a disaster. I got interrogated at a different time by the Moroccan secret police. That was fun. Uh, because what do they call the Moroccan secret police in Morocco? The acronym is DGSN. I don't know what it stands for. It yeah. sounds like camera gear, actually. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got the new DGSN? Totally. I mounted it on my camera last night. I'm going to test it this weekend. I hear it goes up to 350 frames per second. Oh, yeah. Uh, you got to shoot 350 on, your, on the DGSN. But, um, no, we, <laughs> Crystal um, clear. 8K. I, I, it was a drone thing. It was like 20, 2014 when still nobody knew what to do with drones. And we had gotten permission from the government. We had a, I had a thing that said... DJI Phantom 2 flying camera and I had permission I had sign off I had the stamp and in Morocco like the first language is French and the second language is Arabic and I mean I like you, well you heard my French earlier <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know exactly how much this is French. why our French lessons are so important we're starting a new podcast starting next week it's French lessons by English Canadians yeah. sign up you'll learn your numbers and you'll learn how to explain I have permission for this drone <laughs> but anyway that I so they would just like their strategy was to tell me in French that I couldn't have it. And then when I could responded in my pathetic French to get another guy who also didn't speak English in. And eventually it was me and six guys in this room at two o'clock in the morning. And I was like, I have permission. And finally a guy comes in and, and he made this motion with his hand like a helicopter. He's like, it's not for this kind of camera. And he makes a motion like he's got a shoulder mount. And he's like, it's for this kind of camera. We're taking it. You can have it back when you leave, but it's going in this locker. And so they kept oh. it. And I was like, at least I can have it back fine. So they kept it. Wow. And they charged me $150 for them to babysit it for a week. <laughs> and spend like hours of my time in a room yeah. with six guys who none of them understood English. I thought I was maybe, it was going to be me in the locker. And I'm glad <laughs> it at least went that way. I kind of thought they would like throw it on the ground and shoot it in front of you. <laughs> like, this is what we do. And I don't know why they have that accent. That's the accent of the angry airport person, regardless of exactly. where you are, I think. It doesn't matter what country you're in. Mm -hmm. I was on an airplane one time that I got a flat tire before we left. Okay. And so they were like, okay, everyone wants to get off. Actually, no, 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 no. We just heard back. We're good. But they legit jacked up the plane with everyone on it. 
And so you're kind of like tilted off to the side <laughs> and they change the tire. No. Yeah. Dead serious with everyone on the plane. And the captain came back jokingly half an hour later. He's like, yeah, they're just replacing the hubcaps now. We should be on our way in 10 minutes. That's amazing. But yeah, they had to change a tire and we ended up, we were flying to Vancouver and then connecting through Vancouver uh, down to the Pacific Northwest in the States. And we missed our connecting flight. And then that just led to a bunch of antics in the airport bar, as I think usually happens when you get delayed for too long and you're going a little stir crazy. It's how many $13, you know, bottles of Heineken can I afford? (laughs) (laughs) I just tried to raid mini bar fridges Uh. because I think they only charge you like eight for those (laughs) and it'll get me drunk way quicker than those bottles of Heineken, Hammerkin, that's where I'm renaming it (laughs) and I'm not nearly as full at the end. That works. So you get out of college, Mm -hmm. film school and it's right before 2008 happens yeah and you're like okay i have this great desire and i have this wealth of knowledge because i've been building or making films for over a decade what's your next step where does where does life lead you next i did what any sensible business person would do and go to uh, your parents and cry yeah move back in with my dad (laughs) (laughs) same page right here That's what you do because you realize there's no jobs. You have no idea what you're doing. You're in over your head with an apartment you can't afford uh, and you don't have any money. So I moved back in with my dad and I struggled along for a long time and um, I took whatever odd jobs I could and did like one shoot here and one shoot there. I remember my second cousin hired me to shoot something for a junior runners league in Toronto. That was one of my first big breaks just Hmm. because I was actually outside shooting something with a camera. That was huge. And then um, eventually I met a guy that you know, Michael Gelfand. I do know Michael Gelfand. Executive producer at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. But this was before that, long time before that. He was working uh, for himself at a production company called Look Ma Media, uh, and uh, we were volunteering, both of us were volunteering at uh, the Canadian Film Centre, the CFC, <laughs> and uh, I had a very wonderful stroke of luck where I arrived on set. I was meant to be, like, the assistant to the assistant camera person, mm-hmm. and, like, one like person didn't show assistant. up. Uh, there was an extra camera for some reason in the building. The uh, the other camera assistant is a guy I'd worked with before, and he goes, no, 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 you don't want me, you want him. And then um, they were like, do you want to shoot some stuff? So all of a sudden I was shooting this thing, and... Um, Gelf comes up to me and is like, hey, uh, what, did you you uh, shoot a lot of stuff? I was like, yeah. And I, I owned, I had bought a camera, which is one of the reasons I had no money. Uh, and I, it was the camera that we were using that day. I said, yeah, I have this camera. I'm looking to shoot anything. Like, let's talk. And so he hired me on to do like a corporate video for Rogers. I remember that. And that was the first thing. And then actually the second thing I did was digital signage for the Air Canada Center. Wow. Yeah. Way back in the day for concerts. It would have, That would have been in like 2009 maybe, like a long time ago. Yeah. Eventually, after I worked there for a while, Michael got his job at with the Leafs. Yep. He stopped coming into work at his own company. So it was just me. As happens yeah. when, you know, you have a big opportunity in front of you. Yeah. And so then it was just me going to work at his company. And then there was less and less work. And it got to the point where it was like, okay, um, he called me up uh, or I called him and I was like, there's not really much going here. And he went, yeah, well, we might be able to get you a job here. Amazing. And then, yeah. And then I, uh, he did. So thanks. Thanks, Gelf. I saw him today, actually. No way. Yeah. You guys ran into each other? Were, were you on the same shoot? Uh, yeah. He, well, he was uh, yeah stopping by. We did like a big giant uh, six camera thing with the Leafs today. And uh, Holy you know, smokes. Was there. Yeah. 
It was uh, it was kind of cool. It was like um, it was very weirdly meta because it was um, I, mean, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this actually, but because uh, it was there was a no social media policy. But if it, I'm not showing anything, we can edit it out okay. later if you find out. If I I'll find out if this is allowed, and then maybe no one will hear this. And if someone is hearing this, then I'm sorry for this long <laughs> detour where I explain that you might not have heard this. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> It's basically like uh, they got the whole team, which is unusual in itself, uh, to come in and play the new NHL 18 for PS4. Wow. In in a tournament against each other. So it was like they're playing, you know, two minute periods, uh, three on three, uh, like one guy against one guy. And they did a big tournament bracket and it was actually really fun. Um, And they were actually really into it. A lot of the times when players are asked to do things, they've had a full day of other stuff. Right. And sometimes it's really unpleasant stuff, like often... um, we do a shoot every year that, well, you know from TFC, called Media Day, mm-hmm. where basically the collateral for the scoreboard is all shot in one go. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that those guys have to do in the morning is go on a treadmill and do things like the wind gate tests and like the VO2 max and all these other horrible things. And a lot of them puke because yeah. it's so difficult. And uh, and then you have to ask them to sit down and smile, smile on and, camera. What's, tell me your favorite band. <laughs> What's this? Like, what about the first time? You remember when you scored that goal? What's your like, favorite ice cream flavor? Exactly. So they're Chips. not always... Are you a ketchup guy or a salt and vinegar guy tell me be honest yeah so they're not always thrilled to do that but this was cool because uh, first of all you have guys who are literally playing as themselves in the game which is kind of cool uh, and then everybody else is there uh you know sort of to cheer them on so i mean nobody got razzed worse than uh than the goalies because they're of course <laughs> yeah, yeah, getting lit up <laughs> well and also saving everybody so right. like freddie the goalie uh, is there you know he's playing on another game and you'll hear from one side of the room freddie you're killing me and then from the other side of the room oh clutch freddie clutch like, Freddy. Let's <laughs> Freddy. Thanks for chipping in, bud. Appreciate it there, pal. Freddie Anderson saving the day and also getting everyone killed. So it was fun. So I saw Michael today on that shoot. And uh, who who do I not want to face up against? So you don't want to play against Zach Hyman. He was... A machine? He was a monster, but he, everyone knew coming in. They're like, Hyman's going to kill us. He's going to murder us. He's definitely going to win. And everyone, he's like, apparently everyone's cheering against me. And like nobody really knew until he sat down, but then it became clear that that was was the case. He was a monster and he went all the way to the finals, although he didn't win. I won't say who he was against or who did win. Only that uh, the favorite did not win. But you don't want to play against him. You don't want to play against uh, Kadri. Not no, because he's particularly I, good, but because he'll chirp you to death. <laughs> I did I did an event with Kadri or a, a shoot with Kadri years ago where we went to a fan's house and that's what they did, was they awesome. played like NHL, whatever it would have been at the time, 15, I, I would imagine, or 16. And he too was full of banter oh, yeah. with this fan. And full the fan, of banter. What a gentle of, way of describing Nazem Kadri. He was shit-talking <laughs> the hell out of this fan, which he fucking loved it. Both of them did, because he's like, I'm getting the real NHL player experience, and and Naz is like, fuck you, dude. Get off my turf. <laughs> right. Like, you ain't gonna beat my 18 years of experience with your two thumbs. Right, exactly. Are you a gamer? Are you no, much of a gamer? Not really. I was. There yeah. was a time where like, yes, I was a serious proper gamer. And now, no. I, I, I This year I got into it like a little bit because there was a game that I was waiting for to come out, uh, The Last Guardian, which was like a sequel to Shadow of the Colossus. And I went and I bought a PS4. I was so fired up. I played it. It took me three days to beat it. And my PS4 has been collecting dust since then. That's I go on these like really weird one or two week spurts where I'll get into it. And but what'll happen is I dedicate every waking hour 
that I'm not working yeah. to this game. Well, that's why I can't do it anymore. I'm so obsessed. And then I have to unplug myself and be like, yo, Clay, get a grip on reality here. This doesn't make you any money. Right. Or get you any sleep. Huh. Or do anything really positive. I remember no. I, I, I played, I also, I dabbled in uh, Zelda this year, Breath of the Wild. And it's the same kind of thing where you're like, there's how many shrines? 120? Okay, well, I have 106. I could probably do this for 14 hours. And then you have to have them all. You can't be satisfied no. with 119. You have to have them all. So that's why I can't, I don't no. do, it just takes over my life. I could have used those, that time to like go outside or like I could have learned something or maybe, you know, come and done a podcast with you or whatever. Created your own. Created my own. Like there's See? a million things. I, I so You could have decorated my office. Well, I could have. Yeah, I probably helped. wouldn't have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It'd be pretty cool. I've seen your place. <laughs> I think actually yeah. you were at my place while I was putting up shelves. Yeah, that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah, that's right. That was the last time I was over. Huh. Great little spot in, right. in uh, the heart of Toronto. Yeah. We we locked out. We ended up just a few blocks from each other. Yeah, that's true. So everything we grew up just a little bit from each other. We moved downtown. We're just a couple blocks from each other. Mm-hmm. The rivalry you, continues. You introduced me to the incredible AAA bar. Ah, yes. Which you had said was your favorite spot. It has very quickly become my favorite spot. I'm almost nervous to talk about it in a thing where people will listen because then they're going to go there and then that means it won't be... It's going to be busy. busy. Well, it's already getting there. It got written up in Blog TO, and I went in and then all of a sudden I couldn't get a seat and I was like, what's happened? No, they, no, they should go. There's the AAA bar on the east side. Mm-hmm. AAA pub. Pub. That's, you know what, honestly, if you guys are searching for something, that's the one to go to. Yeah. It's AAA Pub. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to go to the other ones. You you, you stick to the east side. Yep. They're very friendly people. Mm -hmm. Always a chair for you and the best food in town. You you would hate the other one that Clay and I go to. You'd hate it. You'd have a bad time. We only do it because of proximity to each other. Yeah, it's it's necessary. It's mandated because, you know, in my contract with them, I have to mention it on air, so I have to visit there a certain number of times. I would go to the good one, but it's not really up to me. So yeah, just leave it. Go to the good one. Yeah. And we'll keep going to the crappy one. We'll Mm -hmm. we'll spare you the trouble. We'll, yeah, we'll take the bullet. So you go from being in school to working at this small production house to then working for one of the largest sports organizations in North America doing a whole whack of sports video of ranging from corporate stuff and corporate partner stuff all the way down to like directing players on these massive tens of thousands of dollar sets. I don't want to give the budgets away, but they're big sets. Mm -hmm. They spare no expense. Some of the times. Some of the times. And then you decide it's time for a shift in your life. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even that I decided... That was a plastic bottle falling off. Don't worry, it doesn't break. Knocking things over. Um, I I, I didn't even decide that I wanted to shift, really. It was sort of like a, like a, a right place, right time kind of thing. I had done... Uh, tra- one travel shoot in Iceland with my friend who I met the first time that I was there. And he, he started a dive company in Iceland and he said, uh, we want to do a video. And I was like, okay, I can do this for you. He's like, I don't have any money, but you can stay at my house <laughs> and we'll feed you and do all that stuff and you can dive with us. I said, okay, that sounds amazing. I'll do that. So I had this one travel video on my reel type of thing. And I didn't really know what to do with it or what was going to go on. And I went to a movie 
And in as advance, most of us do, as you do, that's how I think through things. I go to a movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was just incidental, but I was I was at, at the movie, and uh, while the trailers were playing, there was this like travel thing that played where in the slot of a movie trailer, and I was like, was this for a movie? I don't know. And it was just like a bunch of like sweet travel stuff and like a voiceover, and I was like, what was that for? And like this logo came up at the end. This company called G Adventures, and then two days later. Uh, I was at my dad's place and a brochure from the same company, by coincidence, had come in the mail addressed to me. They must have gotten my email from some list or something that I was signed up for. <laughs> it's because I once bought like a keychain. Right, exactly. Of a place that asked for my email to log in, and then now they send me junk mail for the rest of my Now life. I'm getting mail for the rest of ever. But uh, but yeah, it was the same company. And I was looking, and I was like, this is, this is what it was. And so I went online, and I was like, I wonder... If they're hiring hmm. and they were hiring, it was like videographer, shooter slash editor must be willing to uh, travel all over the world and do all this stuff. I was like, you kidding me? Like, it didn't sound like a real thing. So I hacked together all the travel footage, like from vacations and from this uh, Iceland video and whatever I had and applied. And unbelievably, I got it. Uh, it was like out of like 3,000 people that applied, I got wow. it. I was really, really lucky. I remember actually sneaking away from my desk at MLSC at lunch to go to my second interview. And I'd like packed a, a blazer, which is something I would never wear in real life. <laughs> but I felt like I needed to wear it to the interview. And I remember seeing someone in the concourse as I was walking back. And they're like, you look sharp today. I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> Thank you. Don't, don't look at me. <laughs> But um, big date, yeah, big date, big big date, big lunch date. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I got it, and I remember the they we you know figured out the terms, and they're like, okay, well, we need you to send us your passport information because uh, you're going to Indonesia. And this is like, like before on Friday. It was it was like I did training Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I went into the office on Thursday, and then I flew on Friday. Like, I didn't even get to know who my coworkers were or, like, set stuff up at my desk. It was like, yeah, we need, well, we need to go to Indonesia. So you, you've got to get this sorted and you have to go. And then that was it. And I remember, I, I think the first day, we had a really insane travel schedule. It was like 12 hour flight to Japan and then eight hour flight to Jakarta. And then we landed in Jakarta at like two o'clock in the morning. We had a train at eight o'clock in the morning to go to Yogyakarta, which is another eight and a half hours. And so I had no idea what time it was or what was going on. And then they're like, okay, the first day we're going to relax. And I remember being in the pool and I was sitting in the pool on like my, you know, third day of work or whatever it was. And there was like a waterfall over the pool and like birds of paradise were landing in it. And I was looking around, I looked at my boss who was on the trip with me and I was like, is this my life now? (laughs) And he was like, well, sort of. (laughs) Today, Today it is. Today it is. Tomorrow we get the whip. <laughs> I started doing that. I did that for two and a half years at G Adventures. And the move next was to, I don't know why I'm telling your story for you. It's like I'm, prompt, I'm well, prompting you each. You tell me what happened next <laughs> well, on not, the next Stringer podcast. If, no. not, if not for you, we would still be on like tangent number one talking about numbers <laughs> in French. So, I mean, I'm glad somebody's telling it. 1997. <laughs> Exactly. I don't have any French listeners. It's safe. <laughs> yeah, no, I did that for two and a half years, uh, traveling and editing, and it was crazy. We went, um, I went to like places I never would have gone 
ever in my life otherwise uh like i went to antarctica when i was with them which was crazy uh i went like all over europe we did like a euro rail trip where we did i think six countries in eight days uh on trains all through europe and like morocco which is like i never would have picked but it was just like unbelievable drone (laughs) that that episode yeah with so many yeah you know it was really uh, south america like uh, colombia which again i I never would have picked to go to but like all of them were just unbelievable so I did that for two and a half years and then my goal was always to be a freelancer and I'd always done it on the side uh, ever since day one of employment just to so I could because I like being the master of my own destiny and I like to be able to decide what jobs I want to do and what jobs I don't want to do and uh, I like the idea of setting my own hours I the idea of nine to five has never been appealing to me because like if I have eight hours worth of work as long as I get the work done on time why does it need to be done in that eight hour period that's right. always frustrating yeah. I find like a lot of creative people I get a lot of my best stuff done at night yeah, in the middle too. of the night uh, and definitely a night person and I I also really like breakfast. Breakfast is my favorite thing in the entire world. So I would, my ideal day is I get up early and then I go for breakfast and then I read because I don't, I can't read at night anymore and I'm a big reader. And because now when I read at night, I fall asleep afterwards and I feel like I don't retain the last three or four pages that I read. Right. So now I go and I have breakfast and I read. I come back, I have a coffee, I sit down and read the news. I'm an old man basically <laughs> at 30. And um, do you have a highlighter? Please see, you sit there with a the highlighter no, over but the news. I'm, You're like, oh, I got to remember this I'm one. I'm sure it's not far off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, and then, and then you know, I start work at like 11, 11.30. And I'll work for half the day. And then I'll go meet a friend or have dinner or do whatever. And then come home from that. And then I'll work until like 1 or 2 in the morning. That's my perfect schedule. Yeah. Bang I, on. I get way more done. I feel good about it. The same amount of hours are spent working or often more. And... I never feel rushed or late or Behind. I have to be doing something. Yeah. It's just better. So freelance was always the goal. So I decided in spite of ongoing travel opportunities to leave G Adventures and it was amicable, but it was at a tricky time and it wasn't ideal for them. Um, I left with no real plan and I just started calling. I'll find something. I know it. I will. Yeah. I was like, this worked so well in 2008. So of course it'll work again. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I just basically started calling everybody who I'd worked with and I was like, hey, so I don't have a job and uh, maybe you could give me one. The idea was I don't want a full-time job. No. It was I'm like, not looking to bunk in with you for the next three to five years of my life. Right. It's do you have a shoot coming up? Yeah, basically. It was, yeah, do you have uh, anything that needs shooting or anything that needs editing and I would get out and you know just call people and in it was January that I had quit and I spent all of January just in meetings mm-hmm. on the phone meeting people I had about 6,000 coffee meetings there's a great closed Facebook group for film industry professionals that I'm part of where every every time people were looking to crew up or looking to do anything I would message them and talk to them and I would go out and like just meet and meet and meet and meet and meet and give a million business cards out and have a million conversations just to tell people yeah I am a person I exist these are the things that I do I'd like to do them with you if you have the time yeah and then unbelievably I ended up traveling more in my first year of freelance that I did. At no G-Mix. way. Yeah. It, well, I'd, I'd created a reputation for myself as the guy who does the travel stuff. And 
it stuck, which is great. I mean, like that that year was a crazy travel year, and I ended up I starting to shoot a web series for Photographers Without Borders. Uh, I was uh, I started working with Rolex, uh, highlighting and profiling scientists for their awards for Enterprise. Um, I came, I did a couple of things for G Adventures. I was the photographer in residence on their uh, expedition ship. I did some stuff for Maple Leaf Sports, where they sent me to Africa and uh, to the northernmost town in Sweden, and so I was all over the place. Like it was unbelievable. And so now I, that's what I try to fill my days with as much as I can. As much travel. Yeah. Get those passport stamps, dang it. Yeah, I filled my, my 10-year passport in three years, so that was a success. I counted Whoa. <laughs> oh, my five-year passport is almost full. You, Ten year, you gotta be that's filling up. I think it's you just travel. a bunch of U.S. stamps, though. Still, right? It's like U.S. stamp, U.S. stamp. I still, I, stamp. you're probably on more planes than I am. In a probably, year. but I do a whole act of short hauls. Yeah, that's why. Like I, I think last year, I think I crossed seventy flights. That's La- a lot. <laughs> last year, I think I crossed seventy flights. This year, I stopped keeping track at a certain point. I, I just have to fill it in to mm-hmm. see what. But now I, I'm getting the itch, and you probably hit it too. Well, you're going to Florida, and this probably helps scratch it. Is that you travel so much for work? You just need to travel for yourself. So what I've started trying to do is something that everyone always try always has told me to do uh, that I was always bad at mm-hmm. that I'm trying to correct is tacking on extra. So especially at the difficult to get to or far away locations. So when I was in Thailand last year, I was uh, teaching a workshop, uh, a photography workshop, and I was like, I'm all the way here in Southeast Asia. I've come all this way. The diving is supposed to be pretty good. So I tacked on an extra, I think, eight or nine days. And that's a decent tack. It was, well, it was good because that's, I, that's a full tack. It was a full tack. Yeah. No, spared, you know, no, spared no expense. And, uh, and I was like, I'm going to do my rescue diver certification. And uh, also because Thailand is really cheap, I, uh, I rented a villa in the hills and PP, which sounds swankier than it is. I'm it not does. some. I'm not some some James Slow Bond down, figure. Brad Pitt. The whole thing cost less than it would cost to stay in Toronto. George for George Clooney <laughs> no. just rented a villa up in the hills. Oh wait, no, that's Jeffrey Garriock. <laughs> Certainly not. I'd stayed there, yeah, in a villa for a week, and I just dove every single day. I did a course where I learned how to rescue people, and then I just dove for fun again and again and again and again and again, and went and you know drank beers in the streets and made friends and hung out, and it was really nice. I'm always curious because we're in an industry that's so fast paced. And it's evolving, it seems, all quicker than I can even catch up to it. And I think this is media in general, not just film and not just television. Media keeps evolving and keeps growing. Has there been something, I don't want to say a learning, maybe it's a learning or maybe it's a piece of advice or something you've been given along the way that kind of sticks with you and, and, and sits at your core so that no matter what challenge you're up against, no matter what you have to face... You kind of go back, you're like, oh yeah, if I just do this, or if I just keep this in mind, or if I just follow this, then I know I can work through it. There's a piece of advice that I always give, and I'm not sure where I Ooh, heard this. I like this. this better. Well, no, I don't know. I don't, I'm sure someone has probably no, told no, me No, 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 no. It came to you in a dream in <laughs> Thailand, sitting on a mountainside <laughs> in a villa. Uh, no, but I mean, like, I think it's something I always tell people who are going to work for themselves or who are trying to make something new uh, or go into business for themselves or whatever the case may be is, is tell everybody what you do all the time. Hmm. 
like if you if you're talking to somebody that you don't know tell them what you do and i don't be a dick don't bulldoze in and be like so uh hi i'm jeff i'm a filmmaker let's talk about me you know like don't do that but like uh, bring it up like or or make it known or somehow make a mention of it because so often the connection you need is not where you think it is or it's behind one person or two people and so often so many times i've had somebody who i've been talking to about you know like an some film that i've seen or a book that i've read or you know where the best place to get an omelet is or whatever uh they're like oh you know actually i have a second cousin whose brother's company needs a video <laughs> and then it turns out to be one of the better gigs that right. i do so you know you never know like uh, just yeah always uh make it known who you are i guess is the, the piece of advice that i would give um and that i always try and keep top of mind because yeah the opportunities are in weird places most of the time. It's weird though, and I'm sure you're the same as me in this, it's hard juggling humility with wanting to be present and honest with what you do or your ability in what you do because you actually I'd rather someone just tell them what I am. Like I would really rather someone just be like, hi, this is Clayton, he works in sports uh, documentary but, filmmaking. But not in front of you because that's even worse. That's even more awkward. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I would imagine this, you, there's this funny balance that you have to find within yourself between your own humility and I've known you for several years. I know you're a very modest person. Don't say these things in front of me. I'm going to leave. See? I'm embarrassed. <laughs> well, we're just about at our hour. <laughs> Jeff is extremely handsome. Okay, His beard is the best in the world and he's the best cinematographer that I know. None of this he's is shaking true. his head. No. head no. One of my favorite that I've ever worked with. Oh, that's very kind. We've had a good time together. So that's my brush off line. Is that's very kind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know me that well. That's what I said. <laughs> That's Clearly, you don't know enough people in this industry. I can introduce you to a couple real good ones. <laughs> Have yeah. you met my friend Jeff Garriock? No. <laughs> yeah, man. No, it's hard. Like, honestly, I'm not good. I'm not good with compliments. It's something that makes me a very awkward person in general. I don't know how. I've never learned the correct way to respond when someone says something nice about oh, me. Thank you. So You're I just, so kind. That's uh, yeah. That's uh, that's very kind. Is what my default is. But I can't even look someone in the eye and say that. I look at my shoes and I shuffle off and I make an excuse to leave and I. Quietly, you know, cry as I regain my composure. I suffer from that thing that many people do where it's like, you pay me a compliment, so I owe you one back. Ah, uh, yes. It's like, oh, I really liked such and such that you did. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Your hair looks great today. Right. Or whatever <laughs> I can come up with on a moment's notice. That's I'm like, like, your brooch is very broochy. <laughs> It's like when you go to the well, movie no, theater and the person who sells you your ticket is like, enjoy the show. And you go, you do. You do. <laughs> All the time. All the time. And I go, shit. Damn it. You weren't present in the conversation. You weren't listening. <laughs> no. I wanted to do this, but I wanted to save it to the end. Oh. Let's let's geek out a little bit on gear. Okay. Because I, I feel that we both kind of came up the ranks of various levels of gear going from first DSLR and then up to different levels of, of cinema cameras. So tell me right now, what do you prefer? Uh, like, And you can even range for this kind of shoot when I'm traveling. I like to take this kind of gear with me or these are my favorite lenses that I'm using or something like that. Let's let's geek out just for a minute. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, like, I'm still uh, digging that DGSN we came up with earlier. I thought that, <laughs> yeah, was, a, yeah. that was a hot camera. At, at 350 frames per second uh-huh. in 8K. Uh-huh, and, and it's the Moroccan secret police. Uh, <laughs> no, Who would have uh, thought? 
I don't know, man. I mean, I, before, like when I was younger, I would have been like, it's the red. The red is the greatest thing in the universe. I was obsessed. I was a big fanboy. And now I'm a lot more like sort of a tool for every task type of thing. Right. But I'm, I, I got into filmmaking so deep in the DSLR era that I'm really partial to those things because it's Still. so much, yeah, yeah, so much camera and like a little tiny package. And especially for stuff, a lot of the time when you're traveling and you're filming something, like you're not always allowed to, but a little DSLR, you can be like, no, I'm just taking a picture a like everybody yeah. else. This is fine. <laughs> and you can get away with it. It's yeah. small, so you're not dragging it around. I've met a lot of grumpy 60-year-old camera guys where one shoulder is higher than the other because they've had a camera on it for their entire lives and you and I and everyone we know all have various weird, terrible back problems from shooting and DSLR kind of mitigates that. But I upgraded my RED in January Ooh. to the Weapon Helium 8K, which is probably pointless. I don't know what I was thinking. It's a lot of money and it's it's ridiculous camera. Like you don't need 8K. That's you're thinking crazy. we're going to shoot a short film. Yeah. That's what you were thinking. Or yeah, or something like that. So I've, sh- I've shot some stuff with it and it, it is, don't get me wrong, it's awesome. But it's the kind of thing where it's too good for my own good. Right. Like the memory cards are 500 gigs. If you fill two of those in a day, your whole hard drive is done it's already. Done. Yeah. So like I'm buying hard drives. I have a, I'm not joking. I have a tackle box at home that is full of hard drives it is full and then I have stacks on my desk and then I have a raid on my desk like I'm overrun with removable storage and it's like a bad thing in my life it's like socks you know it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's something that you just need that you hate yes. <laughs> they're just a pain they're just annoying yeah yeah and unlike socks, they're terribly expensive. And, if, if you, and you don't get them for Christmas. Right. If you lose a sock, you throw the other one out. If you lose a hard drive, you weep on the floor in a, in a mess. A hole in a hard drive is a very, very bad thing. Very bad. Red, I knew I was, I've always been in love with, with your red in the times we've gone out, and especially shooting sports, we've been able to use it. But on the DSLR side, what are you, what are you traveling with? What do you enjoy using? I'm shooting Sony A7S II the moment which I'm really represent yeah no I've, I honestly I've switched over completely like I got my eyes peeled for the A7S 3 maybe next year and then I might get that and use the A7S 2 as my backup but it's become at first it was my B camera and now it's like my number one like you can shoot in the dark in a cave underground with no lights and it'll still expose you can shoot 120 frames a second slow motion wherever you are you can have 4k in your hand you can have I <laughs> Zeiss was really nice and gave me a lens uh earlier this year they gave me like a big compact zoom at 20 compact is also not a word you should just describe this lens I might want to think about that because it's massive it's five pounds and they're heavy yeah Yeah. five pounds and it's like 12 inches long so it's not compact at all it's four times the size of the camera and twice the weight yeah, basically. Yeah, on an A7S. But I had I had it on the A7S uh, when I was in Africa, and like it looked ridiculous. Like I have a photo of it, and it looks almost silly. It's like if you've ever seen you ever see like an RV towing like a Volkswagen. You know how people yeah. Yeah. They, it looks it just doesn't look right. Like it's yeah. it's like that. Like it's yeah. it's just it, the things are the wrong way around. <laughs> and uh, but but it was um it was unbelievable. And like it's it, that camera. The quality holds up to the lens, even though the size doesn't. And and so having that and having it so small and so portable and be able to set it up in one second is awesome. So I'm a big fan of that. So the A7S II, great camera. I'm a big fan. Not everyone can afford the the compact zooms by Zeiss. They're beautiful. <laughs> I can't afford it. I either. can't afford it. Uh, if you're traveling to somewhere 
exotic. What what is there two lenses you like to have in your bag? I am so personally, yeah. I really like to shoot primes as often as I can, and I have these Rokinon primes that are made out of plastic and they're like dirt cheap, but they're one point four. Have you replaced yours yet? No, still the original. That's the incredible. Ones, yeah. You're the only one that I know that has not replaced. Had to replace that bulletproof. Like I haven't even had to replace the the UV. Like everything's perfect on them, and, and like the the one of them I is like three hundred bucks, and then the other one I think was seven hundred. So I have twenty four and an eighty five that I take with me all the time. And uh, and then I have the usual like seventeen to forty, twenty four to seventy, seventy to two hundred, um, which is a lot of lenses. But mm-hmm. like if I only had to take one, I would take there. If I can take, if I can have two, then I'm gonna take the twenty four prime and the eighty five prime. And I'll really, live, I'll just the two primes. Yeah, I, ch- I used to challenge myself. I, would, I one of the things I do when I'm feeling stagnant in filmmaking is I'll try and create rules mm-hmm. so that I have to do things differently and a lot of the times I would be like okay you can only shoot on prime lenses for this and I'll, I would go with those two and I like occasionally I would be like I wish I had a 50 mm-hmm. but for the most part I can do pretty much anything on those two 35 for me and I think a 70 to 200 35 prime I spend so much time at 35 mm-hmm. I just love it I don't know why you know you gravitate to certain focal lengths but 70 to 200 I don't know if I'm ready yet to live without that but see it depends on what range. you're shooting though like if I was shooting sports I'm taking the 70 to 200 oh, of course if I'm shooting animals I'm taking the 70 to 200 if I'm shooting that kind of stuff then yeah, yeah. but you don't always need it like I was if you're shooting underwater I'm not going to put that in a housing that's crazy I need twice as much housing like and what am I going to shoot that's going to be that far away that I'm going to be able to keep it stationary and, and get so it depends like it really depends like if if, if I'm I'm shooting wildlife. I'm going to take 24 to 70 and 70 to 200. Right, of course. And then I'm good. And if, if I'm allowed a half, it's not really a lens. I'm going to take it two times so I can snap that onto the back. I have it two times as yeah, well. And uh, it it changes any lens into a super lens. Yeah, and they're awesome. And so like for, for like safari stuff mm-hmm. or even for sports, if you're not sure where you're going to be standing, you're in an unfamiliar stadium or you're farther away than you'd like. Just have it. Yeah. Just have it. It's so light. It's nothing in your yeah, bag. Yeah, it's like not even the size of like the, the thrifty 50. And no. then you can just snap that on and you're, you're good to go. So yeah, those are the things. The other thing I think that uh, everybody should take with them no matter what is uh, like an ND fader. It's more of a photography mm-hmm. thing than a video thing but variable um, nd yeah like, like screw on filter right yeah. they're, and they're notoriously shitty but it's the way of taking one filter instead of taking five because i mean in a perfect world you'd take an nd3 nd6 nd9 <laughs> but then you're carrying three things or you can get a fader and you sort of have all in one uh and that's really great for doing long exposure stuff so if you're doing traffic trails or if you want to do any kind of light streak stuff or uh, you're smoothing at waterfalls in the middle of the day or doing any kind of things like that like there's it it offers you so much for how little of a thing it is so I'm a big advocate for that but like again it's totally a photography thing I don't know if we really need it doing video because it has cold spots when it's all the way closed and so anyway yeah though that would be my other one and if there's one piece of gear that you heard is coming out or that you have reached recently purchased because it's new and fancy 
Anything you want to shout out? Um, I got these lights that are good, but no, the thing I want is I really like time lapses. Uh, we used to have a feature at G Adventures called Time Lapse Tuesday, and before that, I was never really a time lapse guy, and then they kind of got me into it. Now I'm obsessed, and whenever I have a chance, shooting time lapses is nice because you have to sit in one spot for a certain amount of time and just enjoy whatever's. Bring happening. a book, yeah, or bring a beer. <laughs> bring a beer. Bring I a like beer and a that. book. Yeah, you have like, them both. When when we were traveling, like in, in Southeast Asia, I was in Burma with a friend of mine and uh, my friend who's a photographer, she loves doing star trails and I love doing time lapses. So at night, if we didn't have to wake up obscenely early or if we had to wake up and just sit on a bus, we would go out, we would find some place in the middle of nowhere and we would set up with like some old temple and you could see all the stars. And so I would set up uh, time lapse and I would shoot, you know, over a period of like two and a half hours stars rotating around or clouds coming in and she would do star trails and it was awesome so I got really into time lapses and I think it's Edel Crone makes this teeny tiny slider that uh, goes um, it twice its own length through a feed of uh, you know tricksy fancy engineering and you can snap a motor onto one side and a little motorized head onto the middle of it and you can program these fantastic moves into it so you get these incredibly dynamic moving time lapses where it looks like your camera is like sweeping in or turning around or tilting or panning or doing all this other great stuff and um I've always wanted one. We used to have a rig like this at G, but it was like really old and really heavy. heavy. You had to carry basically old means uh, heavy. It, it was with like carrying a everything. car battery around with you, and then all of this this giant four foot slide. It was so much stuff. Like it was an extra two bags of stuff. Whereas this Edelcrone thing, I think I can get into what I'm carrying anyway. So and it's motorized and programmable and fancy and so on. So I would love to get my hands on one of those. The thing is, that it's not really a priority. And no. it's fairly expensive. Yeah. So it's one of those things where. You know, the next time I have money and I'm like, you know, maybe I do need this. Or if there's someone listening yeah. that just has a pocket full of cash and you don't know where to burn it, Jeff Garriock would like this motorized head and slider. Or if anyone wants to commission a time lapse film, say if you're the tourism board of a foreign country I've not visited, or a star enthusiast, maybe you're in science, maybe you've got, maybe you're just an enthusiast, uh, look me up and perhaps you could pay me money to shoot time lapses. Know Your Onions <laughs> is the name of the company. <laughs> Where can they find you online? Um, yeah, knowyouronions.ca is the uh, website for the company. Uh, you can catch me on Instagram at Jeffrey Garriock. That's where I post lots of photos of things that I'm doing. Yeah, hopefully. If you, you awesome know, stuff. If you're into it, you can check Huge it out. Huge fan. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't really do the Twitter. So hey. don't look for me on there. I'm on there, but you don't there's, have no, to. there's no point. It's just an egg. Yeah. Is it an egg? Is it? It's just egg? a picture of my face. It's basically an egg. Oh, no. That's I gave it to you. Twitter is an on, egg? on the Twitter. The Twitter egg. If you don't have an avatar, it's a Twitter egg. This is how little I'm on Twitter. I didn't even know about the egg. We've got onions. We've got eggs. <laughs> Everyone, please be good to yourself and eat your vegetables. <laughs> <laughs>